Hey, I'm Green. And I'm Gort. And this is the KISS Communication Podcast, the only podcast where we... What's the gimmick this week, Gort? Um, rush out a, a podcast like they did this album, I guess. Yeah, we rush out a shitty podcast with no substance to it. How does, <laughs> how does that sound? Yeah. Amazing. Uh... <laughs> So we're we're gonna get more granular about this later, but uh, this this album is a little more rough than the previous two. Yeah, it's not great. Um, it's, it's... Dress to Kill is the name. <laughs> Dress to Kill is the name of this album. This is the third studio album from Kiss. Nineteen seventy five. Nineteen seventy five. This is the last of their studio albums before their first live album, which we're going to be covering next week. I wanted to talk to you about that because I don't think that's necessarily a good idea, actually. Was that just because we talked about all the songs already? Well, I've yeah. Well, I went and listened to some of the the live um, songs, right? And yeah. I think it would be a lot better. For us to just cover like all three lives in in their own episode. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. So should we do that when we get to a live three then? Yeah, and maybe we touch on like maybe we can touch on a live next week. Like we listen to a couple because I I went yeah. I was listening to I kind of went down a rabbit hole of YouTube stuff and watch some like really early live stuff and a lot of it is not very good uh just to be said uh you can tell why they took out peter chris's seven minute drum solo on that one track on (laughs) hotter hell we're gonna talk about the drum solo on this album um that was on that drum solo is on lover all i can that you're thinking of right uh well, there was no last week. There was the one that they cut out of the album, right? That we were talking yeah. about that that he that they cut out without telling him. And there's a live version of that song, I think, and it has him do a drum solo, and it is like four minutes of him just playing like sixteenth notes and not really moving around <laughs> the drum set. Like amazing. <laughs> It's like when the it's like when the mar- the dudes who only play drums in marching band get on a drum set. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something about a live towards the end of this album's discussion, but um, otherwise we're just gonna be focusing on dress to kill. I think that's the way to talk about the lives until we do an episode on all three of them, like we're doing for the like solo albums. We're not doing individual episodes; they're kind of their own little thing i think is the best way to do that yeah yeah i agree i think that's probably the best way to do it especially since like at least the solo albums are are new content but a live is gonna be all of the same songs we've we've just listened to over the past few albums yeah you're right uh okay so i guess you know, we've got some general impressions out of the way. We talked about where we're going next. Uh, so let's kind of dig right into the meat of this album. Uh, side A, track one, Room Service. Uh, yeah. This uh, this song is about asking people to have sex with you. This song is about... Yeah, it's about Paul Stanley's raw animal magnetism and women just 
throwing themselves at him. This this is the most common, like, every Paul Stanley song is this. Well, no, all the all the Paul Stanley songs before were about him, like, trying to hit on women and then, like, striking out, remember? Yeah, no, on the, but on this album, there's a complete change from that. Yeah, and I think uh, when we get to Side B, we're going to see more about that, but Paul Stanley has uh, a bit more... Uh, sort of confidence in these tracks than he did on the previous two albums. Yeah, Paul Paul simply is not um as as I dubbed him last week is not not quite here on Dress to Kill. Yeah, it, it turns out Twitch modding didn't work out for him and he's uh <laughs> and now he's now he's going for the 16-year-olds. Yeah, song. he's going for 16-year-old. Yeah, this is mentioned in the song. Uh, luckily, the 16-year-old's father happened to be in the room, apparently. <laughs> it's it's like your classic, like, oh, rock Rocker gets into wacky pedophilia. Yeah. Uh, excuse <laughs> me, that's a febophilia, thank you. <laughs> um, actually, it's a febophilia. <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so probably the funniest part like the, the part of this track where i just kind of lost my mind is uh the part is the second verse where he's like getting on an airplane and the stewardess is just like let me give you a blowjob yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it definitely, this album definitely, as much as I disliked it, it definitely felt like Kiss. When I think of Kiss as being like kind of braggadocious, and uh, there was an aspect of that that just hasn't been there in these past two albums, even in the more like rocking and partying songs. Yeah, we're we're kind of getting to that now, and you can see sort of where this takes shape. Um, is there is there much else to say about this one? There's like kind of obviously like the room service euphemism. <laughs> Baby, I could use a meal, which is like, um, I take the pleasure with the pain. I don't know what he really meant by that. I mean, yeah, it's just I, like weird sex stuff. That's, yeah, it's yeah. it's either it's either like Paul Stanley talking about like a kink thing, or alternatively, he just kind of dislikes the fact that he has to leave these like random women behind. Yeah, maybe that's that's part of it. Like, yeah. Um, I really like the chorus of the song. There's a lot of good choruses on this album. Yeah, this um, this this album musically, for the most part, I thought was better than the previous two albums. But lyrically, it's just like a nosedive. I don't know if I agree with musically completely, but I like the room serve, like the the harmonies there. It feels very like I wrote that it feels Huey, very Huey Lewis almost. Yeah, it's got a little bit of that going on, doesn't it? It's like um, I mean, it, you're, as you get later into the seventies, I think we're gonna feel that sort of those those like very not clean, but like sort of standard vocal harmonies on the yeah, on the chorus, and like there, the there is. Vocals there is a bit more of a modern vibe to this one over the previous two albums. And I mm -hmm. think part of that is also because kiss was kind of at the ground floor of, of this change in, in sound when it came to rock music. So like they were just part of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, not much else to, uh, to say about room service besides like, 
I mean, how do, how do you think it fares as like a tone setter for the album? We talk about that a lot on the past two albums that both had really good openings for like the opening really set the tone pretty well. And I, I, don't I think, think that... I think this one does set the tone for this album, but more thematically than you know musically. Than right, the the thematic of like, hey, we're gonna be a little more like silly and and braggadocious and and like play yeah. these characters up a little more. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely leaning into it more and Paul Stanley as a character just kind of does a complete 180 on this album which I think is fascinating. Yeah, it's it really is. But to me it's still there's still like the classic Paul Stanley in there. Right? Like this feels like what the Paul Stanley of the past two albums was imagining when he was like you know, in the Twitch chat simping or whatever yeah, like this like this, this is, is this is the ideal that paul stanley <laughs> like ascribes to yeah this, this is who paul stanley wants to be rather than who paul stanley is yeah exactly he's like why why don't i just start writing about the dude i want to be yeah and i'll, I'll give him some credit here it does make him it, it makes these songs a little more interesting from a lyrical perspective because there is just more to talk about. Yeah. It, I mean, it almost feels like some of the, like, like Ace Freely in the past couple of albums wrote some pretty basic songs, but were just like leagues above the other, like, band yeah. writing just because he had just a little more lyricism. And, and we're going to get to some Ace Freely songs on this album that I thought were actually a little disappointing uh, compared to the previous two. Yeah. Ace. Ace is not quite at his best on this album, writing wise. Yeah, he's not. He's not hitting the homers here. Uh, anything else you want to say about Room Service? It has a fade out, which almost every track on this album does. It's we've reached the peak fade out now. Yeah, this is. We talk about the fade out a lot, but no, I don't really have anything else to say about Room Service. All right, so we'll get to we'll get to two timer, which is uh, the first Gene Simmons track of the album. Yeah, out of many, like this is kind of a Gene Simmons heavy album. It is, yeah, it's very Gene heavy. Um, so this is the first Gene Simmons track that makes sense lyrically in a way that doesn't require drugs to understand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's and it's still a little all over the place. Yeah, but like it's simple enough that it's like clear what he's trying to say. It's not like watching you. No, no, it's not like watching but it's you. Like... <laughs> it's it's not a description of like coked out Gene Simmons just staring bug eyed at a woman from across the bar. <laughs> uh so two timer, one of the things that really hit me was they really leaned into distortion on the guitars, and I think we're gonna see more and more of that as it goes on because this was also becoming a trend in the seventies. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um what else is there to say? A hot woman likes car. She likes fast car, she likes big man. She like yeah, this is more of that sort of like rock star persona that they're leaning into now that they've had a little bit of success, like we were talking about on the first song. Yeah, totally. Um, I still think she's she's two timing Gene, which means there's someone that is not Gene Simmons that is a bigger man with a nicer car. Yeah, it's the (laughs) 
my brain just thinks of the the like the outrun dude just like driving <laughs> away but it, it's just like gene simmons like a like a ps2 the, the counting gene down at the top of the screen and gene simmons is just sweating <laughs> yeah so uh it is in new york right or they're yeah. from the the chorus in in two timer uh, is cool the first time you hear it and then you hear it six more times on this track before it ends. Yeah, it, which still gives it like the energy of like every Gene Simmons songs where it feels like it was like written on a piece of toilet paper after he like <laughs> did a line of coke in the studio bathroom. Yeah, he like <laughs> he like snorted some blow off a toilet seat and then wrote the song. On the, on the toilet paper, like like this is more coherent, but it still has that energy. I think in my notes I put if uh, oh, I think that was actually a different song. I think it was the next song, but uh, this is that kind of applies to all of Gene's songs that it it feels like he writes half of a song and then repeats it again to make a whole song. Yeah, except in this case, it's just the chorus. <laughs> it really um. is. And then there's an outro, which lyrically is the same as the chorus, but the instrumental changes a little bit. Uh, yeah, not really, have... not really much else to say about this one. She's hot. She's two timing Gene Simmons. She likes fast car. I definitely think this album is like more coherent than the first two, and I don't know if I like that. Like the first album was, I think the, I think the, um, uh. Hot to handle, hotter than hell. Hotter um, than hell. <laughs> but uh, I think that was in that sweet spot, like between yeah. the subtitled and this one of like being coherent but still being like kind of weird. And this yeah, was- I feel like I feel like their their attempt at cohesion here just produced something that is universally stupid. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a good point. Like they 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 went and got the glue and they didn't realize that they bought the stupid glue. <laughs> which i guess is i mean it is the thing i complained about for the first two albums so i guess you know be careful what you wish for because yeah. the monkey's paw will curl and you'll get a, a dress to kill right yeah well i imagine like uh, we have like 21 albums to go after this i mean imagine we're gonna cover the gambit of all that Kiss can and will be, you know, yeah. like, like they, they've been around long enough. It, and, and it's weird. Like you think of their music as sounding like generic, like rock and roll, but like, there's a lot of variety within what we've already listened to so far. Yeah. It's, it's generic rock and roll, but it's every type of generic rock and roll. Right. <laughs> yeah. really like <laughs> they, they hit all the, they hit all the notes. It's, it's not just one type of classic rock. It's, it's like here's, uh, here's a song where we just ripped off Mississippi Queen. You know, here's a song where we ripped off the Doors. Here's a song where we're trying yeah. to sound like the Rolling Stones, right? Like, yeah, and then they have some songs that are heavier and a little more like Sabbathy or even, and they never like measure up. But yeah. Uh, so track three, ladies in waiting. Uh, this song opens by comparing women to pieces of meat. Yeah, like literally, like <laughs> almost literally, like going into a brothel. Like, I don't even think that's a metaphor. <laughs> like, yeah. The metaphor is very like thin. 
the the meta the metaphor is it's a supermarket for women right yes yeah. like is it even really metaphor it's just like a weird like just a weird way to get around not having to say something that they really want to say right yeah um this was another gene simmons yeah you can tell yeah uh not this though so, lyrically other than the 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 meat department women the meat department that's the meat department uh, women is our band name our kiss cover <laughs> yeah there's like nothing really else to talk about lyrically on this track it's got that one joke at the start and then it's just kind of nothing yeah <laughs> ladies um, waiting <laughs> like yeah, and that goes on too it's it's the same as the previous gene track they just repeat the chorus like 16 times and the song ends um, this is a very like chorusy album in general yeah so i think one of my notes for for ladies in waiting is just please end so we can get to the ace freely song (laughs) i (laughs) i think my favorite thing about this track is probably the solo yeah it's fun because like there's a little like 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 reverb or chorus effect on the guitar that is like kind of unique for kiss at this time you know yeah they're starting yeah, to move in that direction to where they're like using weird effects and like making stuff sound like cool more actually. modern i guess <laughs> yeah like but there's not really much to say about this song besides like like i could feel some of like where weezer was inspired by kiss in this song a little bit yeah um, especially in like the guitar sound in the solo and in like the way that the guitar is mixed, the tone of like a yeah, it's, it's like the Very distortion nice. comes back a little bit here and it's got that kind of poppy tone that Weezer kind of leaned into a little bit. Yeah, like a very power pop kind of Yeah. Yeah. You can start, you can see some of that here. Yeah, for sure. Um other than that though, like there, I I barely have notes on this song because there wasn't really a lot to talk about on it. Yeah, um, this is this this episode. We might have to like find something to fill time with this episode. <laughs> well, we'll have to have a conversation when we get to the end of side A. We should have um, we should have like we should have like rolled alive into this or something because I wasn't expecting this album. I listened to this album like four hours ago too. Yeah, yeah, I, I listened to it this last night. I was like, I usually have a couple days in between listening to the album and I might even listen to it. Like I listened to hotter than hell, like a couple of times cause it was good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have no interest in doing that for, for dress to kill. No, there's a couple songs on dress to kill that I might listen to again, but the entire album, no, I'm not really that interested in it. Uh, so next track, this is getaway, which is an ace freely written song with Peter Chris doing the vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of formula, right? That we've seen. It's, like, it's a good formula, yeah. I like Peter Chris on vocals a lot. Yeah, I like his voice. Um, this song is actually kind of nice. It's kind of like leaving your hometown because you have like a sense that you just don't belong there anymore. Yeah. Uh, which for Kiss is pretty deep lyrically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like every pop punk song or every pop punk album has a song like that about how. Much you 
eight or ten, you know, like it's yeah, not I bad. mean, like Green Day, Green Day wrote like a fucking four part rock opera about this, right? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> um, it's not even that good of a rock opera. Uh, but yeah, like this one is the this one is nice. I like this track a lot. Obviously, you know, Ace freely flexing on the writing again. Peter Chris doing the vocals. Uh, some of the vocal delivery on this is really cool. Yeah, he, I, it's it's very like not screamy, but almost like James Brown or or uh, it's very the, energetic. Yeah, yeah, and it, or um, wow, I can't remember the dude from the Doors. Uh, Jim Morrison is yeah, which we'll see some Doors inspiration. <laughs> yeah, you can call it you can call it inspiration. We'll see later <laughs> on the album. Uh, I, believe, I think I think genius uses the term interpolation, which is yeah. really funny to me. Like it's a it's a sample. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, like towards the end, the vocal delivery on this gets really wild, which I think is cool. Yeah, it's 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 very like energetic. I think it reminds me of a lot of like kind of soul. I think I think to a certain degree, Kiss kind of had their ear to the ground with a lot of different sounds that were kind of going around. Obviously, you know, they're a New York band, right? Yeah. So they had that kind of urban uh, sort of awareness, I guess, that, mm-hmm. that you would expect from, from a band that's based in, like, the biggest city in, in the world, right? Yeah, and, and it's... It's weird. We've talked about like when we listen to them talk about like the music they made. They're very like open about a lot of that. Yeah. Like, like I think the the like the the Mississippi Queen riff that that Gene Simmons just straight up said he like took the Mississippi Queen riff in one of the songs from the last album and altered it a little bit for one of those songs. Like they're very open about that, and I think they're they're definitely like musicians who have a lot of appreciation for other music at the time yeah yeah i think i think they were listening to a lot of music and taking influences from it um, i think it's a shame that they use that knowledge to just make like the most like lowest common denominator yeah rock you know like <laughs> yeah they could have like they could have been because like if you look at other bands in the glam rock space like you had like david bowie right yeah or i was listening to um the dictators today have you ever listened to those guys no i'm not i'm not aware they're very they're from new york as well and they're very um similar to kiss but in the, they're very showy right but yeah. they they were more like like visually they were more like the stones right or like they had like leather jackets and you know they they weren't as showy as as kiss but it was the same sort of like um, musical. I, I, I was listening to this because I was talking to somebody, and they said if you are interested in Kiss, then the Dictators are a, a good band. They sound like Kiss, but if they were like more punk almost. Yeah. Um. And it, it's funny because again, that kind of comes back around to this getaway towards the end. Does kind of lean into a bit of a punk vibe. Yeah, and and this is when I mean the Ramones formed. In 1974, the same year Kiss's first album came out, right? Yeah. So, and that was the sort of vanguard of New York punk at the time, where like the Ramones and like arguably like television 
with, with the two big bands in New York. Punk yeah, and and Kiss still wasn't like super big as of Dress to Kill. So right. it's yeah, yeah. it's possible that they were playing like the same venues as the Ramones. Yeah, the same like New York sort of not basement shows, but like but bars definitely and not bars and, and, and shit. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to see, and and definitely like the listening to the Dictators, which I had never heard of them until today, but. They have this very. I think one of their songs was like "Rock and Roll Master Race." <laughs> so they they have like a vibe going on. Yeah, <laughs> they have. They're like they're they're. It's the closest thing to like glam punk, I think. Yeah. Um. I I think of also like Twisted Sister or, or some of the later. Um, were they the ones who did "We're Not Gonna Take"? Yeah, like that sort yeah, of. Yeah, that's Twisted Sister. Yeah. Yeah, Twisted Sister is very much kind of a blend of, like, the glam rock sound with, like, a bit of the punk lyricism. Yeah, and, and aesthetic as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just interesting to think about what other bands were doing stuff at the time. Yeah, I think I think we're starting to see sort of because you mentioned weezer earlier and i think we're starting to see the cusp of kiss being influ- influential you know yeah and uh, well and even going through this album and even the previous album you can see how many bands covered these songs right yeah uh especially anthrax like anthrax has like five kiss covers yeah i think they did like an entire kiss cover album uh, they were on the like compilation album, and then they they had like two yeah. or three tracks on that album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just uh-huh. so, like, before we, I guess, before we go on to uh, anything else, you want to say about Getaway? Uh, not really. I think we've talked about everything there really is to say about it. It's a cool song. Go give it a listen, everybody out there listening to the podcast. Um, this is the first song on this album I can say I would legitimately like to listen to again. Um, so let me just, you know, we did this for, for the first two albums. We looked at like what other albums came out the same year as the, their first two albums in 1974. And to just give you like an idea of what came out around this time, you had, uh, Rush's second album. So fly by night, they had, they had Getty Lee on, uh, cause they didn't have, or not Getty Lee, uh, Neil Peart on their they didn't have Neil Peart on their first album. Yeah. Uh, Wish You Were Here, Pink Floyd, uh, Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith. So Aerosmith is already an established band at this time. I think of Aerosmith as, you know, very 80s, but... Um, yeah, they've, they've been around fucking forever. Yeah. Um, which is... So, so, like, Walk This Way. I always forget that Walk This Way came out, like, six years before the Run DMC remix. Yeah. Um, well, because like nobody remembers the the non Run DMC version of that song, right? Yeah, except like my granddad and yeah. like radio rock radio station DJs. <laughs> Those rock radio stations are cowards for not playing the Run DMC version. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's the one good thing Run DMC ever put out. So, so this is like like Wish You Were Here, Rush, Jefferson Starship. We've started to get into like Prague has become a lot more of a, a like popular genre, I think, at this point. 
I mean, yeah, and it's starting, it's starting to influence other bands. The other thing that started going on in the mid-70s, and I don't know if this came up in your research, but it is something that was happening around this time period, was the Glam Acts started doing, like, a disco track on all of their albums. Just one, yeah. usually. But disco like, was so was big super... that they couldn't afford oh. not to capitalize on it, right? Yeah. And I think that it happened, uh, probably, like, this is the, the beginning of that phenomenon. Right, still in like yeah. 1975, the mid 70s into so like because disco really went into the late 70s and and died in the early. And then 80s. it just like imploded, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it, like there's a lot of reasons why disco died. Um, obviously, is one really big one, but uh, even you know towards the early 80s, it was kind of declining that like organically on its own too. Like it was just starting to fade in popularity because even the people who liked disco were kind of sick of the saturation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also it wasn't even really disco. It was the Bee Gees, right? Like the Bee Gees would put out a song and it would go to like number one on the top 40 and then it would just get played all the time. Yeah. It, it kind of got that saturation with pop, like, like hip hop did in the early 2000s. Yeah, early to mid two thousands, where it, it like so much of the those tropes of like the the bling era or whatever you want to call it, like got really overplayed. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because that era, from like the late nineties to the mid to late two thousands, uh, when the bling stuff was so huge, was also like the explosion of some of the best underground hip hop that's ever been made. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, because anybody who wasn't doing that was off doing weird. Like, and it's it's sort of the same deal with disco, right? Like European disco, especially, was like fucking amazing. Um, and if you looked for stuff that was a little more obscure in that genre, you find some really good stuff too. I can't imagine like living in 1975 and like going to a record store and and choosing like Kiss over like. Do you think there's people who were pretentious about stuff like that? Like, I'm oh, sure absolutely. there were like nerds who were like, "Oh, you listened to like with their like wish you were here record or or Rush or whatever." <laughs> people right? have been pretentious about Kiss fucking forever, but it's being pretentious about Kiss is like being pretentious about junk food. Just because nobody sees you eat the potato chips doesn't mean you don't do it. Yeah, like I think everyone <laughs> probably enjoys Kiss to some extent, like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I didn't this time around, but <laughs> um Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about like what else was happening in music around that time besides like punk was yeah. becoming a thing. Yeah, and we're we're gonna talk about the one disco track on every album a lot because this album has one that is sort of like a proto disco track and then i believe kiss does it on like every album after that it's very weird yeah uh i mean bowie did it like i think the stones even did one yeah but bowie like i don't know it makes more sense it feels like it makes more sense for bowie to do it because he like pulled it off a lot better than kiss or the stones did like let's dance is a banger yeah uh, right, so next track, uh, Rock Bottom. This is also an Ace Frehley song. Yeah, and not his best. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the intro is cool. It's kind of got like a Stairway to Heaven vibe to it. It doesn't need to be two minutes. 
Yeah, it's a little indulgent, isn't like, it? it? It's it's not even it's too repetitive to be indulgent. Yeah. It it it, it should be like like we, we we keep talking about rest in peace, but it should. I was listening to Holy Wars in in between in this past week, and there's that little acoustic section there, and it kind of reminded me of that. Just because of like of that acoustic section between Holy Wars and the Punishment, do oh yeah, with like the fucking sitar or whatever. I think it's just a guitar. It might be like two guitars, but they're like maybe like fancy Spanish guitar or whatever. It reminded me of that. But like I listened to that song, and that's like ten seconds. That little guitar break, you know, it's almost just like a solo, and it, and it sets the more mood like for that. the second half really well. Yeah. Oh man, we should start a Megadeth podcast. Frank, that's a Frank that shoots Franks. <laughs> we should start Frank-a, a Punisher. Frank, a Frank, a Frank. We should start a Punisher podcast where we read the, <laughs> the like weird ones from the eighties and we cover every Punisher magazine. Oh Lord, yeah, we could cover all the bad Punisher movies too. Yeah, and uh, the ones the ones I had as a kid were my dad's when he was a kid. Um, and I guess this is gonna kind of like date myself, but um, he had the uh, the war chests. Those are my favorite. Yeah, those are good. Called. Or the armory, where where it's just like a whole issue of like him going over all of his guns and everything. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those are... when, I, when I think about like indulgent shit in comic books, the Punisher is like close to the top. Oh, it's very indulgent. Like people say, the Punisher isn't isn't cape shit. You know, like no, it, it totally is. His superpower is just gun. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh man, I love the Punisher. Have you? Did you see that like recent Punisher event that came out of War of the Realms? No, I did not. I, I don't. So, so there were like a bunch of what is like War of Norse... the Realms. War of the Realms was like a big Thor event, right? Okay. And so okay. the outcome of that was that there were like a bunch of like dangerous Norse mythological creatures that were like left on Earth. Okay. So Punisher has a bunch of like magic Norse artifacts and he's like running around in a dragonborn helmet just murdering the shit out of like these Norse mythological creatures and shit. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> it's so so fucking stupid. I love it's it. It's so stupid. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had a friend tell me one time that that because uh, both Punisher and Deadpool kind of like kill the Marvel Universe comic. Have you read either yeah. of those? Like, and Punisher's is way better, right? Because Punisher is just a cooler character than Deadpool. And and Deadpool's one is like a shit post. It's like a four issue comic where he just fucks around. He like he like shoots Stan Lee in the head, right? Or he comes out of the comic yeah. He and shoots the writer in the head. Which, I mean, yeah, that's very Deadpool. Yeah, but... and if if you've read if you've read Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe, I have the trade paperback. Um, it's it's a comic where everything is implied to have happened because they only had four issues, so it just skips over all the actual detail and just goes right to the end of him killing everything. Yeah, and I've read it a while back, and I've been meaning to reread the Punisher one. Because the concept for the Punisher one is it's just a separate Earth where instead of criminals that killed 
like Frank's wife, they get caught up in a fight between like X Men and a Sentinel. Oh, oh, that that and has so, some bad connotations. Or I I think it like a Sentinel crushes his. <laughs> Or something like either that, or it's like the Avengers, and they let like Thor's hammer accidentally like flies through his daughter, or something like that. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's very like late nineties gratuitous. Like, yeah, the way that the Punisher is the best at, you know what I mean? And so he he just he's like, I'm gonna kill every superhero. And there's some really good like, because it's all in an alternate universe. So like, there's this like Hulk is like sleeping in a dumpster. Like he'll just go out at night like. Bruce Banner is homeless, and then he'll just, like, go sleep in a dumpster, turn into Hulk, and, like, throw some cars around as an alcoholic, like, and then go back to his dumpster. So, so like, that's the first kill he gets because he just pops him up with a silencer in the dumpster when he goes back. <laughs> do, do you remember uh, – I don't know if you've read any of the old man Logan stuff, but do you remember what they did with Hulk in that? I, I I I've never read read that, so I don't. Know. Okay, so uh, the they have to they have to cross America, right? Like you've seen yeah. Logan at least, right? So you get yeah, the general yeah. outline of they have to get from point A to point B. So as they're going across this post-apocalyptic America, uh, they run into Hulk, and Hulk has basically started like this weird uh, incest cult of like Hulk <laughs> beings. Oh boy, <laughs> like. <laughs> It's just like a, a vault that you would come across in Fallout, right? Like yeah, it's like, like the Garys, except they're yeah. all Hulks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I forget. I think like Mark Millar wrote that, so that's probably why it's fucking stupid. But you know, sorry, Mark Miller. He hates it when you say Millar, even though it has an A in it. Is it Mark Miller? Yeah, it's Mark Miller. I've been. I always said it was Mark Miller, and then my dad every time I would say Miller would say it's Millar, <laughs> and which like it's it's Mark it, Miller. He's he if it really, really is mad. Miller, that means like I've spent years being corrected, and he's not yeah. even right. He he gets like really mad when people like mispronounce his name at comic cons and shit. Uh, uh, so yeah, your homework is go read Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. It's pretty bad. Like it looks, <laughs> it looks awful. Like look at any panel, and it just looks <laughs> gross. And not in like because there's blood, but just because like the way that big strong dudes were were drawn in the late nineties in comic books. <laughs> like I, it I actually, kind of, it was kind of on the cusp of like everybody like of the thumb comic book character <laughs> where everyone just looked like big old rippling cable. Well, have thumbs. you, uh, have you ever had a chance to read Punisher max? Yes. Oh, have of you, course. Yeah. Have you seen what Barracuda looks like in that? <laughs> Man, those old comics are so, <laughs> Oh man. Like all the, from 19, like, Mid nineties to two thousand nine or whatever comics just looked gross. It's weird because there's like that. There's like the fancy boutique look that like the Ultimate Universe and DC, largely with the Jim Lee stuff, kind of had, where it was like very shiny and colorful, and they 
finally sort of figured out how to make digital coloring not look like complete ass, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and then there's everything else where it's just like weird, gross pencil sketches of people with the weirdest fucking proportions. <laughs> and like, oh yeah, like... I don't is that is that better or worse than like the dude who traces like stock images or whatever now? Isn't that like one at, of least, st- at least the stock images have like human proportions and don't look like fucking <laughs> Yeah, but then you get like the Iron Man where it looks like he had like he has skin wrinkles in his super suit because like... <laughs> it's like a stock photo, yeah. Because <laughs> it's um... it's it's literally the meme one of the dude having a heart attack. Yeah, but like there's there's also the uh I don't know if you've seen the panel from Ultimates where Iron Man is just like piloting the mobile armor from uh Stardust Memory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> oh man. Those Ultimate I've been meaning to read Ultimates because like it looks so, so dumb. So like, there's ult- a run there's a run on Ultimate Iron Man. That fucks up the continuity of the Ultimate Universe so bad that they wrote it out as an in-universe TV show. Is that is that the one written by Orson Scott Card? I didn't That's know the Orson one Scott written Scott. by Orson Scott Card. You are correct. Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, back to the album. Uh, back Rock to Kiss. Bottom. Yeah, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get to talk about comic books eventually. Yeah, so Rock Bottom, uh, we've been through the intro, uh, it starts out cool, and then it just kind of gets repetitive and up its ass a little bit. Uh, lyrically, I think this is, like, alright. Uh, it's weird to see a rock song about a woman that's in the doghouse, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I really, so we were talking about the intro, um, I think that's what got us onto the Punisher, because we, we were talking about Megadeth. Holy Wars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it all comes um, back to Megadeth. It all comes back to Megadeth. Rest in peace, baby. Um, so, so this song was written by Stanley and Freely, and I think Freely probably gets the writing credit on this one for that instrumental intro. Like, I don't feel like yeah. Freely wrote these words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny. I, I put in my notes, yeah, I guess rock bottom for a woman would be pining after Paul Stanley. Um, I really, I really love how this, I was expect so that, that very like long acoustic instrumental intro, literally a minute and 57 seconds. Um, yeah, it's like most of the song. And then it just like abruptly changes into a generic kiss song. Yeah, and it's it's very sudden and like very noticeable that it's just you know it just completely changes. Totally, like totally tonally different from the intro. It almost feels like that was written for something yeah, what, else. What year did Stairway to Heaven come out? Uh, Tell me that. Stairway. Um, um, look that up, Jamie. Seventy-one. Yeah. So they definitely someone in the band heard "Stairway to Heaven" and said, "I want to make something that well, sounds kind of by, like that." By by seventy-five, having like the the long acoustic intro. I mean, Rush was already a stat. We, we we were talking about this. Yeah. right? That's just a trope of rock. Yeah, I'm not even sure if this is like acoustic or just 
a guitar, an electric guitar plugged directly into an amp. Yeah, like straight, clean source. Yeah, it's it's both. Uh, it's Paul Stanley and Ace Freely, right? On both of them, it says acoustic guitars in the credit. Okay, Ace so Freely then yeah, Paul probably. Stanley. Yeah. <clears throat> Ace Freely playing bass on this track as well. Yeah, he he dabbled in the bass on one of the songs in the previous album too. Gene Simmons just is not on this track. This yeah. is when he was writing. This is this was recorded when he was in the bathroom writing songs on the toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So this this song is. There's not a lot to say about any of these songs, is there? This this, and we've seen this pattern already. But uh, Kiss. So far, the Kiss albums pick up on side B, and I think we're going to find out that that holds true for this album yeah somewhat um i definitely i think hotter than hell has had the best side a so far yeah and even that wasn't as good as the side b yeah oh yeah of course but like side a had like parasite (laughs) yeah and um going blind like right next to each other which was like very good on the last album listen to episode two we're not gonna talk about that again yeah uh, right. So, I thought, oh, I thought rock bottom was about drugs. Like I thought this song was gonna be about like, like addiction, hitting, like addiction, and then it was just like a, a boring song about your girlfriend like being shitty. Yeah, yeah. There's still there's still a little bit of Paul Simply in this one. I think. Yeah, it's but but it's him imagining, right? It's him. Yeah. It's him imagining that he could have like control over a relationship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paul Stanley's fantasy is like having any agency at all. Apparently. Oh man! All right, I so I really liked the hooks in a lot of these, even if they're a little overplayed. Like the rock bottom, like they feel like very. Rocky and yeah, like... I do. I do really like the chorus on Rock Bottom. It's a lot of fun. Um, especially those like the harmonies and the like the backing vocals when the band all comes in on like the 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 title of the song. Like they do that a lot on this album. And I really yeah. like. Right. So, uh, before we get to side B, uh, there's something I want to mention about this transition from side A to side B. Uh, when you flip the record over, Paul Stanley finds a girlfriend. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. all of a sudden, every Paul Stanley song after this point is, like, a legitimate love song where he actually respects the agency of women and gets rewarded for it. It's... It's weird, man. It's... <laughs> I didn't. I've never thought of. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we're gonna hit track six, which is "Come On and Love Me." Uh, again, it's it's about a woman that Paul Stanley is clearly in a stable relationship with, who has agency over the relationship, but it's a healthy relationship. Yeah, um, this song is very like. What's what's the other one? What's the one from the first album that was like, she will lose you, 
and confuse you. And we, we, we talked about how, like, the rhyme of it, the rhyme scheme was very, like, it felt very elementary. Or, like, yeah. like your first song. This has that vibe of, like, she's a dancer, a romancer, I'm a Capricorn, and she's a Cancer. Like, all the rhymes feel kind of forced. Yeah, um, this, I believe, is a Wicked Lester song originally. Oh, really? Uh, I think somewhere it said it was originally written as a Wicked Lester song. Maybe I'm wrong. I think that's like the next tra- That's It might be the next one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like... it, there's something that's very funny about um, the I'm a Capricorn and she's a Cancer line, which is that Paul Stanley is not a Capricorn. <laughs> 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 Paul Stanley is an Aquarius. <laughs> there, there's a there's a comment in the genius uh, section actually explaining how he is a Capricorn because of the planet cycles or whatever. But it's funnier to think that he's just just doesn't know any. Like I don't I don't I'm not gonna read this whole comment because it's like way too long, <laughs> but. It's because like like they they change depending on the year, right? The the horoscopes do. Yeah. Like what what? That's why the whole meme of like when a girl asks you what day you were born on. Yeah. Or something like I don't know. Astrology is. I mean, it's, anyways, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> this this track is like fascinating because this is like the first time Paul Stanley seems to think of a woman as a human being and. Instantly a, is treated better for treating women like human beings. Yeah, and, and not like a piece of meat. Yeah, <laughs> so that was that was Gene Simmons. That was Gene Simmons, but that's that's in character for Gene Simmons, right? Because yeah, I mean this is. <laughs> um, what do you think about the hook? What the uh, uh, the baby like, don't hesitate. Baby don't hesitate. Like. This song is fine. Like this is yeah. a, a fine side B. Um yeah, I think the I think the hook and the chorus are great. Uh lyrically, I think this is probably the best written Paul Stanley song we've seen yet. Yeah, and you can definitely see his his lyricism kind of growing here in this part yeah. of the album. Um, Which is, is good also the... because he's the front man and his lyricism should already be good. <laughs> This is also the the first time that you see um, Paul Stanley on lead guitar. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Which is interesting. It, it feels like this song is like very much a Paul Stanley vehicle in general. Like it's just his his whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so we we should make. I think we should make this the art for this episode. Uh, I don't know if you see it on the Genius page, but I'll put it in discord or something um but right. there is there is the um the japanese single box art for um for this song yeah i already movie. made a, a thumbnail for the dress to kill album cover but i'll take a look at it i might reconsider um and it it looks really cool but specifically uh ace his makeup looks like the stone mask from jojo <laughs> Like it looks just like it. I sent you the Zencaster link because I'm stupid. Yeah, it does look like it. <laughs> like, 
I, I, I just, I really like Japanese art of, like, album art of Western bands, especially around this time. I always think that's interesting how they translate that to different yeah. markets. Um, yeah, there was a... When we get to the last track on this album, I'm going to briefly mention um, a German single release for it. Yes, we've we've talked about German a couple times. Like, it's yeah, weird. we talked like, about the Beatles, right? The Beatles, yeah, yeah, yeah. How they had to had to release their songs in German because of a contract thing. Yeah. Um, there's not much else to say about the song besides it's pretty good. For it, Paul it picks Stanley. up musically in the second half. Quite a yeah, bit, I, re- I really like the, the like "Come on and love me," like yeah. in the in the hook and and what it fades out on it. Their their vocals are really tight on this album, I think, even if the songs aren't always great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think the they experiment a bit more vocally too, which is good. Uh, All right, so uh, you have any last words for "Come on and love me" before we move on? Uh, no, no. Uh, there was, there's like three Anthrax covers on this album. Yeah. Yeah, I was telling you about that earlier. Um, it's, I can't remember which ones. I know they did She and one of the other ones, I think on side A. Yeah. But, um, Anthrax really loves Kiss. We talked about it a lot. I don't really know what value we're getting out of it anymore. (laughs) bringing it up but we're definitely going to have to touch on like some of the anthrax kiss covers eventually because it is too ubiquitous to not talk about it yeah i i think we talked about parasite a lot last week but yeah um right so the next track anything for my baby uh kicks off with really cool percussion uh into a really cool intro into a really fun and catchy chorus yeah, this this song is really good. This is probably I, I wish favorite. this was the hit single off of this album instead of Rock and Roll All Night. Yeah, me too. Because um, it, it's just really, really fun. I like it a lot. According to Genius, the uh, the song was never performed live um, until the Kiss Cruise in 2011 and the Kiss Cruise in 2013. That's the only yeah. time this song has been, which is like a shame because this song would be really great live i think yeah uh so this year's kiss cruise is the 10th um by the way yeah, and it's uh it's was... they're doing psycho circus as the theme for this one uh i mean the can... and sebastian bach is going to be there and a bunch of other bands do you want to do you want to get tickets and and go to the kiss we should, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll have to cover it eventually. That'll be like a big GoFundMe if we ever, if this ever takes off and we get really stupid popular, right? Yeah, if we get <laughs> uh, subscribe to our non-existent Patreon so we can go on the Kiss Cruise. <laughs> if enough people start watching this, I'll set up a Patreon. Actually, you might have to set up the Patreon because I'm not sure if my work contract allows me to do that. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I have I'm, I have I work on like a non-compete contract, so I'm I'm not really allowed to have other sources of income that are like business related, which probably includes running a podcast. So would that 
I'm not allowed to operate businesses out of my dorm room because of my my contract with the school. Would that conflict with? Uh, I mean, uh, at least in your case, you could just like not get caught. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, it's like I could get sued. It's bad. Um. Anyway. Uh, so what else is there to say about anything for my baby? Again, Paul Stanley is actually, like, trying to treat a woman with dignity and respect. Yeah, I I had the vibe, like, in the first part of this, like, verse one, that, like, just because of how much we've, like, clowned on Paul Stanley, but I had the vibe of him, like, saying all of this about a girl that, like, doesn't know he exists. <laughs> But then, like, verse two is, like, oh, I wake up beside her and, like... Yeah, okay. he put the effort in, and he... You know what? Uh, good for Paul Stanley on this one, right? Like, he figured it out, you know? He, Just don't he, be a piece of shit, and maybe you can have a stable relationship, buddy. Just be a piece of shit to other people for your girlfriend. Like, Yeah, exactly. And wheel and deal. And crawl or kneel sometimes. <laughs> oh... <laughs> This song is like it's not a lot though. Like a lot of these songs yeah. don't really have a lot to them. They're just kind of like <laughs> so. It's out it's funny. Like this and the previous track seem to suggest that Paul Stanley has channeled his simp energy into like femdom. Yeah, into one woman. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know what? If that works for you, then more power to you, what, buddy. What a what a great arc he has. He's had over the past three albums. Yeah. Good for, him. Good for him. Some real character progression going on here. <laughs> um So this this next song is She and this uh is obviously it's it's got like a bit of the doors going on. Um but yes, yeah, yeah. this song reminds me a lot of Black Diamond from the first album. Yeah. For it, a lot of reasons. Um <laughs> a big part is that it was a it wasn't even a Wicked Lester song. It was the band he was in before Wicked Lester called Bullfrog Beer, with beer spelled B-H-E-E-R. <laughs> so before I, I put I put down something that was not Wicked Lester in my notes. I think I put like <laughs> I put Wacky Stanley in my notes. <laughs> Goofy Chester. <laughs> Wild Larry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she, um, this song's about a prostitute. Uh, yeah. Once again, very sympathetic about just the general plight of sex workers, and also kind of talks about sex work being empowering. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Dean Simmons really loves the hoes. Yeah, it's like, it's weird that this is like the one social topic where they seem to have like a really strong hardline stance on how it should be approached. It's because they're like, it's like it's the dudes who are like, it's the it's the simp energy, right? It's yeah. the dudes who are like, yeah, sex work should be legal, so I can like, I need to give her money on her OnlyFans. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> make it easier for me to be a John. Like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so this has this has multiple covers. Um, the, one of them's from a dedicated Kiss cover band. Uh, one of them is from Ace Frehley's solo album. 
Uh, one is by a band called Sand, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, I'm not familiar either. And one is by Anthrax. The Anthrax cover is good. Uh, the yeah. problem with a lot of these Anthrax covers is they just sound like they're they're too good. You know, they just sound like like this song. Yeah. They don't like do anything interesting with with them with some of them. Like like Parasite fits Anthrax well because it is a little thrashy, and if you speed it up and and make it drive a little more, you can turn it into a. You really can really do something with it, yeah. Thrashy song, but like a lot of these songs, like I think the, the other this one song. They... This song is a bit more uh, down tempo and moody. Um, yeah, which I don't maybe, really. Maybe a bit more of that Sabbath energy, a little bit. Yeah, or or. Um... Even some of the the like Wicked Lester, uh, yeah, uh, like psychedelic hippie kind of. Yeah, eventually we're going to have to do a zero point two uh, Wicked Lester back cover. Yeah, um, there's not there. All that's really <laughs> out there is like some bootlegs and then a couple songs that were released, including she like the original version. Yeah. Uh. So verse three on this song is the same as verse two, but they have learned something very interesting about repeating the second verse, uh, which is that this time around, they give the repeat verse some really interesting vocal and instrumental highlights. Yeah, they they sing it differently. (laughs) They sing it differently. They sort of accent uh, each of the lines with like these big uh, musical crashes. Um yeah, which is really nice after a long solo, like hyping up. Yeah. Um, I I have in my notes that that they never really stopped writing the song Strutter, like. <laughs> yeah, in a sense, they haven't. Like, and maybe, or maybe that's just Gene, in a lot of maybe. ways, but. Like that is a strutter. The more I like at this point, the more I look back on that first album, strutter like defined a lot of what, like a, the tone lyrically of a lot of Kiss, even to this point. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it did. It did turn out to be like the most popular song off of the first album, so it's probably yeah. has a lot to do with it. It's it's a good one. I mean, it. I didn't yeah. like it as much when we when we first. Uh, there's a really good live version of it. Uh, have you have you listened to any of the live stuff yet? I've not yet. A no, bit on my own. I've, I've been meaning to get around to it. Um, I really like the uh, the powers are within her as she takes off her clothes. Like that's a really weird. That's a very Gene Simmons line, I think. Yeah. Of. It's a very glam rock line in general, really. Yeah, it, it makes me think of like Steel Panther or whatever, like yeah. just this very exaggerated horniness of glam rock. I mean, there's a reason why people call it like the precursor to butt rock as cock rock, you know? Like Yeah. Uh so this next track is Lover All I Can, and again we have Paul Stanley uh, in a steady, healthy relationship with a woman where he treats her with respect and dignity. Yeah, and this was a Wicked Lester song originally, which is yeah. interesting. Um, because, like, was Paul Stanley writing 
I mean, it, it, it kind of goes against our idea of the character arc if he wrote this in, like, 1969. Yeah, and that's a weird thing about, like, the Wicked Lester songs is you see, I think, maybe a more candid, less sort of... Um, they're not trying as hard, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's... I mean, Kiss were essentially industry plants, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I mean, well, sort of. I mean, they they were in a bunch of previous bands. Like, they had a they had a back catalog of stuff. You know, like, they, they didn't yeah. just come out of nowhere. They had, a, they had like, a, a legacy there. But, um, yeah, they were pushed pretty heavily, which is funny, because, like, like we said... Uh, before Alive, they, they weren't, like, super popular. They were popular, yeah. but they weren't, like, huge. They were big enough to have a tour, but not... I mean, the tour is really what set a lot of that off. Yeah. I think. Or, the tour and the live album resulting from it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Lover All I Can, uh, the percussion on this is kind of neat. Yeah, is this the one that has like the the like little percussion breakdown? Yeah, it does. There's uh like a little drum solo and then a guitar solo happens. Yeah, I so yeah. I was really impressed by the by the drums here actually. I think it's probably some of the best drumming that Peter Chris has done. Yeah, it's it's really really good. Um the there's instrumental like a, break on like, this is pretty good like a little too. Double, a little maybe not double bass, but like a, a a little section where he does a little like funky little like bass triplet that's almost like prog e you know yeah like, like there's actual a lot of his fills and a lot of his solos and stuff are very like square and and don't have any like sharp edges to them they feel very like rounded off in his playing i don't know if that does that make sense i'm i'm kind of like yeah and that anything. might be that might be like a post production thing too right well, no, I mean like the way he plays. I'm like oh. I'm saying like as a drummer, he plays very like square, like sounding. He he doesn't do a lot of like complex or even like dynamic, uh, like syncopated stuff in his fills. He's kind of do 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 right, just kind of or banging on him. You know, there's not a yeah. lot. Of, you don't you don't see like <laughs> the um like Sabbath drummer the you know, all these like weird fills or like, you, you don't, you don't see like drum. a rush kind of percussion where it's just like insane. Yeah. Yeah. Not until this song, like this song, kind this of comes song out is where it takes off. Yeah. Is because he does a lot more of, of that sort of dynamic drumming than he usually does. And I, I find yeah. Really yeah. And the guitar solo on the first instrumental break here, it's about 30 seconds long, uh, is also really cool. Um, I believe that's Ace Freely playing. Yeah. Um, this song is kind of corny. Like, it's it's very rock and roll-y. The, this song's corny, but I, I like this as a, as a lyrical delivery more than most of Paul Stanley's stuff. I do too. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's... It's just there's not a lot. To, there's a there's more material for us if he's a shitty person. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's like if Paul Stanley just keeps writing songs about how good he is to his girlfriend, it's not going to be funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we can't make fun of him. This is okay. So this is also the only song I think on this album with a cowbell. 
Yes, I believe so. Compared but this is to... also like this is also like the only song where Peter Chris really gets to go wild, so that's probably why there is a cowbell. Yeah, but compared to the last album where every song on the B side had a cowbell. Yeah. I think some of the anthrax covers from this album actually reintroduce the cowbell. I, yeah, I'm I'm here for the cowbell. Yeah. I'm I'm a fan. Yeah. Um I I I think this is one of Ace Freely's best solos as well. Like it's a really good solo, yeah. Everything musically on this track is like really polished and well executed and restrained enough to not like be annoying. Mm -hmm. Um. So one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, and we kind of wanted to talk. I kind of wanted to talk about it with she. Uh, We were talking about the Doors earlier. Like she straight up just kind of pulls a riff from a Doors song, five to one. Yeah. Um, and did you listen to that song? Have you ever heard that song? Uh, I've heard it like on the radio, but I haven't like sat down and actually properly listened to it. Yeah, I went and listened to it again after right after listening to She for the first time. And it's there. It's not like egregious enough to where like you wouldn't call it like an homage or even a possible like, um, what do you call it? Like, like, um, Paul Stanley or whoever did that guitar, whoever does the guitar, like it's probably Ace, could have thought of that on his own. And the dude from the doors could have also thought of that on his own. Yeah. Well, apparently, like they said, they they sort of ripped it from that doors track, but they were going more for what it was like stylistically than what it was like. Absolutely. A hundred percent melodically. Right. Yeah. Um, Love her. All I can is, is not that way. Um, It's straight up rips off. A, a much older song <laughs> yeah um G- according to genius it interpolates it but it it just it is it's the same like the that in the beginning that that note that's playing the like dun, dun, it's not that heavy but it's open by open my eyes by naz which was like todd rundgren's band in the mid '60s, yeah. around around the time of the animals. Yeah, so very, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the album. cover of this album by Nas, and it looks like the f- cover of the first Kiss album. It it oh my god, it is. It's the which it's also very Beatlesy. Like the Beatles did a yeah. cover like that. Queen had like the faces and the dark. That was very common for like British rock. Yeah, but also like the the placement here is almost uncanny, right? It is. Yeah. What? It, yeah. I didn't think about that. That's... Let me open up. Let me just open up. Let me look side by side at these. I'm going to open up the picture. Uh, yeah, of, uh... Let me let me do this as well. His self-titled. It's not. Okay, okay. maybe it's not as blatant as I thought it was. Um... But it's a similar vibe for sure. I love I love the rhinestones, man. Yeah. Uh, bring back the rhinestone logo. Yeah, that is nice. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Kiss logo on on the next track too. Uh, is there anything else you really want to say about Lover All I Can before we move on? Listen to Open by my, Open My Eyes by Naz. Uh, Naz is really good. They're like they were they were doing they were very early prog like kind of contemporaries of King Crimson and oh that's they, cool. They, they're kind of the like stepping stone between psychedelic rock and British prog. Yeah. And I, I think like, this is yet another example of kiss really having their ear to the ground. Right. Cause this, 
again, it's like something that's a little more weird and obscure and they've incorporated it into what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and these guys seem to know music, <laughs> which is weird. Like we, we, we talked about this, but like, it, it just seems so weird for, for me to like be able to tell that these guys know music and know more than just like the surface level. And they're still like doing kiss. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, like, Hey, if it's a meal ticket, I mean, you know, yeah, I guess, but in my mind, it's like, you would, you would think they would get more experiment. I'm hoping that they get more experimental. That's why I'm really excited for those solo albums. Cause I want to yeah, see. I was, I was just about to say, we're going to see what happens with those solo albums. Probably. Um, yeah, I'm super excited for those because they're going to be weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to go to the last track? Let's go to the last track. So uh, here's my note for Rock and Roll All Night. My note is, I don't need notes for this one. Yeah, you, you don't. <laughs> Um, everyone's heard this song right like this it's got like 200 million plays on spotify um so the one thing i did want to point out and it's on the genius page here is the uh, german single issue which has the german kiss logo on it which is distinctly different from the regular global kiss logo yeah um it it doesn't have the ss (laughs) yeah it (laughs) The whole typeface is different, actually. Um, and the other thing I think is really funny about it is uh, the the stamp on it that says "Top Hit in USA." <laughs> Very <laughs> American love. <laughs> it's like <laughs> rock and roll all night. That's very. That's not German. I can't. Do that. <laughs> that's just Borat. Kazakhstan is very big. <laughs> um, I I love genius lyrics for for like songs that don't need genius lyrics. Yeah, because like, people just like, write like fucking poetry about stupid shit. Like all of these other songs on this album don't have any annotations, but this is like the song. Yeah. Right. So it it's got annotate like. <laughs> On the, there's a part of the verse where it says the party's just begun, we'll let you in. And the annotation says there will not be any respite from the circus of depravity and debauchery having, quote, just begun. But they beckon the subject to come deeper into their world of leering madness. It's like, bro, it's that's not... It's just the party, even, bro. It's not even implied. Like, <laughs> I know, like... <laughs> Exclusive like, appears to indicate a divide between the Apollonian and the Dionysian, or a dualism concealing a greater unity. <laughs> this is this has to be like intentionally verbose, right? It's just, it's difficult to parse exactly what will be the rocking and rolling, what will be the partying, and which of these is the light and the dark. <laughs> This reminds me, I've been listening to a podcast called TV Nopes. Um, they're pretty small podcasts. I'll shout them out. They're cool. Um, and the concept is they look at TV tropes pages for things that shouldn't have TV tropes pages. Oh, God. 
Like, uh, they did one for Schindler's List, uh, 12 Years a Slave, Parasite, Mein Kampf, like, stuff like that. <laughs> and they just look at, like, the, the cheesy, like, TV tropes, like, 2011 internet humor. Have Have you ever... Um... Of, of Mein Kampf, or... <laughs> Have you ever read the TV tropes page for Xavier Renegade Angel? Oh boy. Oh, it's it's like an essay. It's huge. It's massive. Every, um, TV tropes is so and I mean this is me repeating a lot of listen to that podcast. It's good if you want to hear people talk about TV tropes. But like it's so like weirdly I spent a lot of time there when I was like younger on the internet. Um and there's such a weird like it's it feels like it's stuck in an earlier time of the internet still. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like something awful has been for a long time or face punch before it exploded. Yeah, and it's but it's still like doing it's still doing that today and it feels the, weird. The, the thing about TV tropes is like it's a formula, right? So they established a formula at a certain point of like a certain point in time and they just continue to apply it. Yeah. And they talk about this in the podcast, but like who is editing like the TV tropes page for like, is there a kiss TV tropes page? We should do a crossover with that podcast where we look at the kids TV tropes. Page. Keep, keep shouting them out. We might do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, yeah. I don't think I don't think there is actually. But, you there might Kiss, be for like some also. Kiss spinoff media, related media, whatever. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's a TV tropes page for Grand Blue Fantasy. I'm not talking like the anime. I'm talking the Gotcha game. Yeah, I mean that's not surprising. It's a game. Yeah. They have a they have a separate section for the pinball. Um, the pinball has its own tropes on on TV tropes. Interesting. The kids um, all right, so let's let's do a little breakdown of of rock and roll all night. Uh, the first verse is about a party. Yeah. The chorus Start is dancing. about a party. Yeah. Uh, the second verse is about a woman at a party. Uh, the second chorus is about a party, and the outro is about a party. This is just this is a song for people who want who for party rockers. Yeah, and this song has been covered by a million bands. Like, oh, so many people. Poison covered it. Daytona covered it. Van Halen. Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> Feed the Rhino. Yeah, yeah. The Toad the Wet Sprocket one is from that Big Kiss cover album. Yeah, um, that's probably pretty good, actually. I don't. Uh, Toad the Wet has Andrew WK covered it because, like, good question. That would. That would probably be a pretty good cover. I sent you that uh, some of that Andrew WK Gundam album, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I searched Andrew WK Kiss cover, and I, I didn't. I got he. There is a um, album of him doing covers of various J-pop songs. That's called the Japan covers, yeah. and that's what came up. Andrew yeah, WK he has a couple really albums good. that were only released in Japan, I think. <clears throat> Uh, so interesting thing about rock and roll all night. Uh, this song was not popular when this album came out, or when its single release came out. 
uh, Rock and Roll All Night didn't get popular until Alive came out. Yeah, it was because it was like, to be honest, like this is not the version I've heard on the radio. I've yeah. the version I've heard on the radio is the Alive version. Yeah, and I mean, because that's the version everyone knows, right? Yeah, because I mean, this version doesn't even have a solo. Like the live version yeah. has a Ace Freely solo. It's yeah. Um. Also, uh, remember when we talked earlier about how like this was the era of like bands starting to put like a disco track on their albums yeah is this a disc are you saying it, this it, is it a feels disc? it feels like a partial attempt at doing that but not like leaning all the way into the disco even pink floyd did it yeah and, but they did it good because like you could you could put like some some like horns and stuff on this and it would just be a disco song right yeah, I I don't think it has quite the like same like sort of danceable rhythm. Like it's it's more driving rock than like than the like upbeat like disco. But I think you could I mean you could definitely do like a disco remix probably. Yeah. So there's a comment on the track on Genius. Uh this is my favorite song ever. My grandpa told me about it and we always listened to it before he died. Well, that's sweet. That's ain't, ain't that ain't that precious. Uh, I wonder if they buried him in a kiss casket. You know, someone has to be buried in a kiss casket somewhere. Yeah. When are, when are we gonna review the kiss casket? Uh, posthumously. <laughs> we did. We're gonna be like reading it. At our funerals. Yeah, find us in hell, uh, and we'll tell you all about the Kiss Casket. Um, we are uh, definitely going to hell for making a Kiss podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what we're going to hell for. <laughs> <laughs> Among other things. So, uh, my general verdict about this album is like the previous two, the back half of the album side B is generally the good part. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where they put all the weird songs that are more fun to listen to. Yeah. Um, the thing that's really disappointing though, is like lyrically, this album is like a pretty big decline across the board from the previous one, hotter than hell. Oh yeah. Um, from what um, I've heard, this album was kind of rushed to have something out for like 75. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Because it, do, it does feel a little half-baked, doesn't it? A few of these songs feel like they could be a little longer, a little a little more complex. It's very interesting. Like, I mean, they're very simple rock, right? Like, I was... Yeah. What was it I was listening? I was listening to Rush a couple of days ago. We talk about Rush a lot. Though. I'm sorry. Um, it's it's just easy to compare because they're very they they came about around the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I was looking at the wiki. I always like to go to the Wikipedia page and go to the personnel section because it shows like who all worked on the album and what they played. Like that part of a, a Wikipedia section on an album is always like super interesting to me. Yeah. Because, like, on a Rush album or a Pink Floyd album, there'll be like twenty seven guys and one dude is playing like the reverse symbol or whatever. But like on Kiss, it's relatively pretty simple, and I think that's a big part of their appeal and maybe their style. I guess 
and I really yeah, it's like, like just the... just them and maybe like one or two guys from the studio at least so far. But it, it's like yeah, it's it's them on guitar, bass, and drums. You know, it's yeah, they're just a standard like four piece band, right? Yeah, and you're you're right about how they they kind of do cover the gambit of what generic rock is. <laughs> Yeah, they 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 hit like every every sort of uh point of the generic rock and roll banner, right? Like it's they they're not just doing one thing. They're doing a lot of things and just kind of sticking them all together. And surprisingly, it comes out more cohesive than it reasonably should. Yeah, and a big part of that I think is the aesthetic, right? All, all of that kind of ties that together right the characters and the the yeah the, the paint and all that kind of ties more can tie more disparate uh, music musical styles together yeah i think you're right about that it's uh part of it is the image holding it all together and i think part of it is that um they're they're just genuinely more talented than i think they get credit for at, at putting all this stuff together but um you also look at um, the next album, right? I was looking at, which is Destroy It, right? That's the next studio album. Yeah. And at that point, they get um, Alice Cooper's producer uh, on to work with them, Bob Ezrin, right? And this guy apparently was a, b- a big part. Like, there's sound effects. There's the Brooklyn Boys Chorus and the New York Philharmonic orchestra yeah. doing stuff so like they're they're obviously going to get more ambitious so i think we're we're kind of exiting the the era of the four-piece rock band yeah we're, we're 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 on our way out of like kiss being like the plucky the plucky group it's like and i mean you, we'll get like a taste of that again if we go back to alive right probably yeah the the alive definitely alive one yeah I don't know, like the later ones they did with like bigger bands or or like yeah exactly, um, like orchestras they've done. Yeah, yeah, I think that might be part of why people like the Kiss Cruise too, because apparently they just play the set by themselves and then they do like Q and A's after. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of I kind of want to do like an episode on all four Alive's. Yeah, just do and all then, of them. Yeah, and then maybe like an episode on the unplugged, the MTV unplugged. Yeah, well, you know what, you know what, doing all four lives entails, right? Listening to all four on lives. Uh, no, listening to rock and roll all night three times. Or yeah. <laughs> oh. Although the the third time is with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, so. It's it's going to be compositionally a little bit different, I think. That'd be cool. I mean, yeah. So at at this point, now that we're three albums in, would you say you are a Kiss fan? I would have said it at the end of last week's episode. Fair, but not today. <laughs> not after having not after listening. I I am, however, excited for Destroyer. I think that's what our next episode should be. I think we should come back to a lot. Yeah. And destroy your next week. Well, I mean, 
First track on Destroyer is Detroit Rock City, which I think is going to be the greatest tone setter uh, track of their entire discography, probably. Yeah, Detroit Rock City is like, Rock and Roll All Night is the one that everyone knows, but Detroit Rock City is like, kind of what is considered the best of their popular songs, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I wish uh, I wish we we I don't know, I wish we could have just skipped Dress to Kill. <laughs> yeah, but it has rock and roll all night. We can't skip that. It, um Yeah, and it I liked she. Yeah. And I wouldn't I okay, so I and I also discovered Naz because of this album. And like yeah. I did a rabbit hole and listened to a bunch of a a band from the sixties that I didn't know about. Yeah, and this had this had like Getaway and Anything for My Baby and Getaway was uh, good. Yeah. Lover All I Can, which are tracks that I could definitely go back and listen to again. Um like side B if you're gonna listen to Dress to Kill, just flip the record over and play side B. That's where the good stuff is. Yeah, I mean that we could say that for most uh Kiss albums so far. Yeah. Uh um, do you have anything else to say about this album or the next album? <laughs> I, don't, I don't really have anything specific to say about this album. Destroyer, from what I understand, is like the big one, right? So that's going to yeah. be interesting. Do you want to do you want to like listen to Alive and then just like touch on it before we talk about Destroyer? No, I think I, we should save that for like an Alive mega okay, episode. I don't think there will be a lot to have to say about Alive in its own episode because it's all songs that we've heard off like the first two albums. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think so, when we get up to a live four, we'll just do them all and you know. Yeah. And that'll refresh some of the older stuff. And then yeah. I think that'll be the best way to do that. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, anything else that you had on your mind about this album? Uh, I wanted I, off my mind. Um, I think the, the funniest note that I wrote was that that song that, that pulled the riff from the doors made me wish I was uh, hosting a doors podcast while I was listening to it. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm sorry, you're, you're chained to the rocks now. There's no getting away from Kiss. I'm chained to the rock, baby. <laughs> rock and roll. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really have anything else to say. Do you want to talk about the Punisher? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the Punisher. Let's talk about how stupid it is that Captain America just kind of lets the Punisher do whatever he wants during Civil War. Yeah, it's it's bad. <laughs> it's the, the worst. Like, the Punisher just being in Civil War is is like. He just Remember who wrote Civil War? Is it Mark Millar? It's Mark Miller. I I genuinely think we should we should do a, a um an episode on the, the TV tropes page for Kiss because there's there's a lot that we can make fun of. Yeah, I can make a note about that, and we'll definitely get to it at some point. I will I will, I will tweet at the guy who has the TV tropes podcast. Uh, uh so there's a. 
You know, it's funny um, that you want to talk about the Punisher this much because I'm not really much of uh, a Marvel guy. I'm more of a DC guy generally. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I really liked Marvel, and I was like, "Oh, Superman's fucking stupid. He's just he's fucking invincible, and really he goes really fast." And and now I'm like an adult, and I'm like, "Man, Superman's the fucking best. He doesn't have to worry about fucking anything." Yeah, Superman's cool. I I don't <laughs> I don't have the Superman hate. Um, but we all know that the the best superheroes are 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 Japanese, like. <laughs> Like Ultraman is just cooler, I think. Ultraman like, is really cool. Um, Marvel's done an Ultraman comic, I think. Yeah, I saw is, is doing an Ultraman comic. I've seen him at my job. Um, yeah. I I always at Walmart. I I'll always put the Ultramans in front of like the Iron Mans when I'm like zoning that area. Yeah. Because I'm like I want people to see the Ultraman. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know they still sold like floppies at Walmart. I thought it was just like those weird compilation volume things that DC has been putting out. No, they sell them. So they sell floppies like right next to where like all the magic cards are up front and all the baseball cards. Oh. But they sell them in like packs, right? So you get like three random issues in like a pack. And it's not even like, so you get like, you would get like Ultraman 6 and. Captain America 2, and which is like really not like nobody ever buys them because it's like it's a weird model, yeah. Yeah, I mean, newsstand comics are basically dead, anyways, but you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of people complain about the disappearance of comics from newsstands, uh, but the return on investment for how much they were printing of those, uh, newsstand comics basically hadn't been profitable since like the 80s. It's a miracle they were still on newsstands in the mid 2000s. What? It's so weird that, like, what's the, like, I don't know if there's a term for it or, like, but there's the, the idea that, like, America has, um, has, like, a, animation is seen as a, a children's thing in America because we had, like, the comics code, right? And our, yeah. our comics industry was was so regulated. And, like, places like Italy and Japan and France have a much different view of animation because they also have a very much, much a different view of comic books because they had a, a, a comic revolution a lot earlier. Yeah. Cause they had like comics like Elric and heavy metal in 2080. Um, yeah. You really like those European comics. I do. I think they're great. Um, I've, I've been we... meaning to read some of those. I've also been meaning to read, and some of these are your like the old horror comics. Yeah, I, I was subscribed. So here's the thing about 2000 AD, right? That people don't know is that it's just as good as it used to be. It's still really, really good. Yeah. Um, you talk about the other thing. The other thing people don't know is that the letters section is, I believe, still written by Neil Gaiman uh, every week. Oh really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is still Tharg. Like, I didn't know that Tales from the Crypt started out as, like, a horror comic in, like, oh, yeah. the, the 30s or whatever. Yeah, horror horror and romance comics were, like, the biggest genres, even when superheroes yeah. first started coming and, around. And that was, that, there's a there's a really good, uh, like, YouTube documentary, I forget the, the guy that does it, on, like, the history of horror comics, and it, it talks about how, like, 
that was the first like big sort of comics code censorship not censorship but like i guess censorship where people were like freaking out about like moral panic people were having a moral panic about that and also a lot of the early superhero stuff um not because of the superheroes as much as the supervillains the idea of comics having like villains like people who exist to do it's like oh you're gonna gonna see the criminals being cool yeah exactly the criminals are doing yeah so they i mean that's where you get like the brick wall and like they they all become cartoony because your criminals can't be like robbers they have to be like oh he's gonna spoil the baseball game Yeah. yeah, and it's really funny when you get to comics from like the late '60s into the '70s, uh, where you start to see the pushback against that and like leaning into uh, more esoteric sci-fi and just weirder concepts in general. Like, I have the the big collected volume of Fourth World by Jack Kirby, which I haven't even finished yet because it's like 800 pages, um, and it's like absolutely anything unlike anything else from that era. Jack Kirby was a genius. Oh, right. That man was a fucking genius. Right? Um, Yeah. And he was just amazing at what he was doing. He was putting out... He was working on four comic books at the same time, basically, with DC for this fourth world thing. Uh, And he was doing the art and the writing for them. This art looks... I mean, it's so stylistic and it's so iconic. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite things about Jack Kirby is like he has this very specific style for how he draws people, and they all have this kind of chunky Slavic look to them. Yeah. Uh, and there's a part in Fantastic Four where they introduce uh, this college friend of of Johnny Storms, who's this big Native American dude. Uh, I forget what his name is. Uh, oh, now I can't remember. But the way Jack Kirby drew, drew, like drew him and uh, told the colorist to color him. He just looks like a big, like Eastern European dude. <laughs> and he's like, I gotta, I gotta go back to the reservation and see what's going down. And it's like this guy that looks like he walked out of fucking Estonia. The, the, the Baltic it, reservation. Yeah. It, it's really funny. <laughs> they redesigned him. Different artists redesigned him later on to look more like a, like a native American guy. Um, but Jack Kirby was just like not capable of drawing anything that didn't look like the big chunky square men that he saw on the Eastern Front. Yeah, no, it, I, mean, <laughs> it, I mean, but it defined a lot of like what superheroes in a, especially in a certain era, you know, like, yeah, big square jaws and oh. yeah, uh, you, most famously. The most famous story about Jack Kirby, I think, is the one where uh, when he found out he was getting drafted, uh, he just, like, disappeared for a week and came back with, like, completed comics for two years of content. It's like... (laughs) Oh, man. Like, just entire, like, story arcs for, like, Captain America and Thor and a bunch of other early Marvel stuff. Um just absolutely insane that and he just hammered out like two years worth of content and then just went to go and be like a scout um in in europe during the war uh which was one of the most dangerous jobs and the the reason he wound up doing it is because he could draw so they they sent him in to like draw maps of like um fortified german uh encampments and shit right are we talking about something like that with with 
on a guy recently about how he would like crank out. Yeah, going a guy I think usually had like uh like usually a shonen series, a mecha series, and like a magical girl series all going at the same time. Yeah, but yeah. But, but it's like like you look at you look at Devil Man and how big Devil Man was and then you realize it was like I think the the conversation we were having before is that the original Devil Man manga was weekly. Yeah. It, and he was like pumping out like occasional like 200 chapter or 200 page chapters for a weekly manga yeah it's just insane um gona guy is like still making stuff which is like really wild to think about right um like kentaro miura put out like five chapters of berserk in the last 10 years and his fucking head exploded and gona guy is like still doing the same shit i mean yeah it's it's the same (laughs) as like He's not that much older than Araki, right? Like, yeah, which is weird to think about. But um, speaking of Araki, like, isn't part eight of JoJo coming to an end soon? Uh, yeah, next month. Is he? I, don't, I wonder if I gotta. I gotta finish part seven. He said that part nine will be presumably the last part. So I think there is going to be more JoJo. Um, my assumption because. Part eight is not even anywhere close to closure. Is that part nine is going to segue out of part eight? Yeah, that that makes sense. Because we we don't even know who the villain in part eight is yet. Um, and there's so one the chapter thing, left. Gona guy isn't really doing a lot. Like he he did some manga in like 2015, and then he's done like mainly art. He was like, actively involved in the production of Devilman Crybaby. Yeah, he's actively involved in a lot of stuff, but like in terms of like actual manga, he's also, um, I believe, very active in the development of the Super Robot Wars games. Oh, really? That's yeah, because they use the Mazinger. Yeah, he he designed the logo for the for the new one coming out. Oh, yeah, I love those like old school logos. Like watching Ultraman. For the little bit that I did, like watch it, like all the like little title cards and stuff. Yeah, I love stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy how much dedication these guys had for their craft. Um, there's actually a story about Stan Lee going to Japan and meeting Gonagai while, like, Devilman was in syndication. Um, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. He met Gonagai and he met someone else. Uh, it might have been the Astro Boy dude. Uh, Tezuka? Yeah, Osama Tezuka. And and you it's know, funny I, that like for as big as Gona guy is, like people in the West had like no fucking clue who he was, right? Um, yeah, I mean, because there just wasn't like an apparatus for bringing those sort of comics over, right? Yeah, and it's funny because like Evangelion is so huge and influential here, arguably more influential here than it is in Japan. In Japan, it's more of like a merchandising brand at this point, but. Um, you know, Evangelion was like a really big deal when it came to North America, and uh, most people who experienced it just had no, like, none of the contextual background for why it is the way it is. 
like they ha- they didn't know about Mazinger or Ultra really Ultraman. Technically, we had it in the West, but no one really talked about it. Um, yeah, because it was on like CBS. Like, yeah, uh, they didn't know like, about like Devil Man. You know, any of the stuff that is like the big sort of thematic influences to Evangelion was just stuff that nobody knew about, which I think played a lot into how it was perceived as this sort of very deep, mysterious thing that people didn't really understand. Uh, well, because of, they did a lot of that Japanese stuff also kind of was like the peak of the comic code stuff, right? Like you couldn't bring Devil Man over to American to an American publication in the sixties. Yeah, you couldn't really yeah, exactly. Like manga was basically inaccessible at the time in the West. Um and there there wasn't like the scheme to like change it like there wasn't with the anime in the eighties, right? Where like yeah, yeah, like fucking Robotech. You can't really do that. I don't think you can do that. With, you might as well. I mean, you can, like the Transformers comics. Yeah, and, and there's some other stuff. Too. There's some other stuff that came over too, like um, uh, Tekka Man, I think, came over uh, mostly unaltered. Um, a few other things from Tusk. come over as like floppies in like print comic book format? No, Tekka Man had like the actual show for Tekka Man made it over. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But like when when did manga start like coming over in, into America and being like officially translated? Was it like the nineties? I believe it was the late eighties where it first started catching on. And I, I think Marvel actually was a big part in getting it brought over. Here's a Stanley Like I, I'm pretty sure the first Western manga release of Ghost in the Shell was actually handled by a subsidiary of Marvel. When I I just sent you a picture of when Stanley met Gona guy, he asked he asked him to draw Luke Skywalker for some reason. Because <laughs> that's I mean like Stanley is just like a nerd. That's a really guy. cool take on Luke Skywalker, though. You know, I kind of yeah. fuck with that. It's I mean it's very like samurai e right, which yeah. Fits. It looks like, oh man! Um, it's also kind of a, a bit of a different look from how Gona guy usually draws people in general. I think he was trying to go for like a more realistic Mark Hamill kind of look. Yeah, it's. Um, I love it. It says in big words in the top left corner: Oriental Marvel art. You know, I wasn't going to say that, but you know, um, you pointed it out, so. It was the sixties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This this piece of art is really interesting because it doesn't look like Devil Man or no, or um, like, Cutie Honey like, or it's not like sleek and. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have those like really soft lines. It, it it's uh it's like super detailed, uh, which is that cool. almost reminds me of um like whoever did the who did the art for Saint Seiya, like that. Yeah, it kind of has that look to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, this was this was when they were in Japan making deals for the for the um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man show. TV yeah, show. that's when he met Gona guy. Um, that's super cool. Uh, and it's funny that that Spider-Man TV show uh, was actually like a huge deal. Like it's one of the most influential Tokusatsu series ever made. Oh, apparently, Ken Ishikawa 
did some of those sketches on that image. And oh, then the okay. guy did some other one. Like, it's both of them. Yeah, I think the one on the bottom left kind of looks like Gona Guy. Yeah, and the the top one, the top right looks very yeah, looks yeah. a little more. Kenny Chikawa is the Gator Robo guy, right? Yeah. And he did he did the Fatal Fury manga too. Isn't there a new Gator Robo thing that like just came out? Is there? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's like CG though. Oh. Get a Robo is cool. I've been meaning to. I've been meaning to get into more Super Robot stuff. I mean, obviously, I've been going through Gundam, obviously. Right? Yeah. So that's kind of been my focus with mech stuff. At some point, I guess we'll sit down and watch, like, the Get a Robo um, OVA. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I think it's Sunrise that did it. Uh, yeah, stuff looks cool. I mean, oh, it was Bandai. <laughs> Bandai Visual cool. did it. I want to watch Big O. I'm, I'm yeah, Big O is pretty good. Um. All right. That's that's about. I mean, how much more? Yeah. Can I tell you? <laughs> this is a podcast. That's cool. Uh, so I I recently finished DC's uh, Death Metal event. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is the big grand finale to Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman that started in New 52 like 10 years ago. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I pulled it. I pulled all the spinoffs. Uh, the big spoilers, uh, if anyone doesn't want to hear about uh, the ending of this comic book event that ended like eight months ago, um, just stop listening, I guess, but... Yeah, podcast is over now for you. Yeah. I mean, we stopped talking about Kiss like 20 minutes ago. So I'm sure most of here, our audience has like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're still here, you're interested in hearing this probably, but um, the big grand finale of this event is continuity unlocking itself. So everyone remembers their versions of themselves from every reboot. Oh, God. E- even pre-crisis. You, you you tell me stuff like every time I hear stuff like that, that's like one less DC comic that I will never read. Like, <laughs> no, I this is actually stuff. a cool idea because it's like all the all the reboots happened, and they have always happened in the DC continuity, right? But now yeah. everyone has all their memories of every version of themselves that's ever existed. So it's it's like uh it's like Godzilla Final War. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The, the the best way to fix multiple continuities is just to ignore it and merge them all into one. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's ultimately the best way to handle that. Well, because, <laughs> like, Rebirth down. in 2016 started with, like, Wally West coming back and uh, everyone getting their memories of, like, post-crisis, pre-New 52 back, right? Because it was the New 52 universe, Wally came back, and then everyone remembered everything before new 52 uh even though technically they were still different versions of themselves they had the memories of their previous versions so i'm looking at this this death metal dark knight death metal and is this like so are they based on metal artists or metal uh greg capullo has done many album covers 
Um, yeah, but like spe- below... I'm, looking, I'm looking specifically at like the Superman design and the Joker design. Yeah. Are they like th- that Superman design looks like Glenn Danzig? Yeah, a little bit. It just looks like Glenn. Danzig. Yeah. He has like a big dark side arm, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's he's too tall to be Glenn Danzig. Yeah. But well, I mean, like... it's supposed to be like a callback to like Death of Superman too, where he comes back with the with the long hair. Um, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, uh, but then I also saw like a picture of the the Joker with the like spikes. I don't know. Oh, the the Batman who laughs. Is that what that is? Okay. Does does he look like Judge Death? Yeah, he also. There's also like one panel where he kind of looks like Ozzy. <laughs> Right. Uh, so death metal also has Lobo factor in a lot. Uh, Lobo is actually very important. Um, like so there's there's this fight. thing, there's this thing that's established. I think it's originally established in. Uh, it might be Infinite Crisis or it might be Final. I think it's Final Crisis, uh, where once in all of continuity, uh, you can gather up every version of a character from every universe. And bring them all together in one universe to do something. So Final Crisis does it with, I think, Superman. Um, and then I think it was done with Batman in Metal. Uh, so in Death Metal, they do it with Lobo. And they get every Lobo from every universe. Oh, man. <laughs> so a- another thing that's kind of neat about Death Metal is they did these animatics. You might be seeing them pop up in the videos tab. Um, they're like motion comics, sort of, and they got like a bunch of metal artists to do like the voice acting for them. So, like, uh, I think Batman is like Andy Biersack. Oh wow! Yeah, that's cool. And they also released like an entire like metal album. Isn't he like a shady dude though? Uh, is he? I don't know anything about Black Veil Brides. Isn't he like a child? Whatever. No, I think that's the I think that's the Panic at the Disco guy. I don't know. All of them are probably. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't think too hard about it. I mean, we we literally just we literally have a podcast about a band that talks about like having sex with sleeping with sixteen year olds. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so there's there's this uh, soundtrack they did they did like a, a six track uh, album for the first event, which was metal. Uh, Death metal has like a full fifteen track album. Uh, it's got like a song by Mastodon, a song by Chino Moreno. Uh, there's an Andy Biersack one, a Rise Against song, uh, Denzel Curry. Wow. That's... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's like a like a full on like metal supergroup album. It's fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. Uh. And I believe they also had like a single by, I think it was a single by Marilyn Manson to promote the event when it was first announced. And then like two months later, the shit came out about Marilyn Manson. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do we have anything else to talk about? Kiss is cool. Kiss is cool. We're going to listen to more Kiss in the future. Kiss is... I, I uh, think Destroyer is going to be very good. 
Yeah, I think we're going to have a good time with Destroyer. I think especially, especially after coming off of Dress Together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, I forgot that we were recording. I just kind of started talking. Yeah, we've been we've been rambling for a while, so I guess we'll call it here. Uh, Any anything you want to say to end this off? Um, drink your Ovaltine, kids. Yeah, do it. It's good for you. Uh, brush your teeth, wash your hands, wear a mask. Uh, even if you're vaccinated, wear a mask because you don't have 100% efficacy and we don't want your lungs to turn into a, a, a fine fluid. Um, also, it helps with other things. Yeah. It's not just COVID. It's yeah, we, we had the best... We had the best flu year in recorded history uh, last winter because everyone was wearing masks. Uh, fun fact. Um, yeah, just do that. Be a good person. Yeah. Got to, got to wash your ass if you must. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it that Kendrick Lamar's grandma said? Shit, don't change so you get up and wash your ass. Yeah. Don't leave it on that. <laughs> That's it. We're gone. <laughs> Got it. Goodbye. <laughs>